Well, every single week we meet, we like to take a look at God's Word. And so if you have your Bible, let's go now to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12 is where we're going to be. So we continue this series of working our way through the book of Romans. Uh, some see as the greatest, uh, um, for many it's their favorite book of the Bible. Romans chapter 12 is where we'll be. In his closing address of his 111st birthday party, the hobbit Bilbo Baggins, after spending over a century with such fine hobbits, closes by saying the following, I don't know half of you, half as well as I should like, and I like less than half of you, half as well as you deserve. Again, I don't know half of you, half as well as I should like, and I like less than half of you, half as well as you deserve. It's clever, and it's also funny, because it's one of those that even in the book, it says they're not sure if this is supposed to be a compliment or if he's trying to offend them. And there's part of it that's a little bit uh, relatable. It reveals character and it reveals character in us because we all have people that we really, really enjoy. And we also have people that we know, uh, let's sanctify a little bit. I struggle with this person. I don't get along as well with this person as others, which brings a a good question for us as as church-going folk. Uh, Do we have to love everyone? Should you have the same kind of love for every single Christian? I mean, some people are different. There's so many different kinds of people, different kinds of background, different kinds of interests. Am I supposed to have the same kind of love for all? Should I treat Christians and non-Christians the same way, or should there be some distinction in how I love and care for them? That's exactly the issue we're going to look at today in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, we looked at a couple weeks ago about being living sacrifices, about our whole life being devoted to the Lord. And here, following that section, we looked at verses 1 and 2 two weeks ago. Now we look at verses 3 to 21. We'll see if we get through the rest of it today. And we're going to look at that Paul then begins by talking about how you treat other Christians. Now listen, this is, as I was studying this this week, I was personally convicted. I wish we could spend more time looking at this passage. I'm thankful that a lot of the themes in this passage are going to pop up in Ephesians, which Pastor John is preaching on Sunday, so that's a good reason why you should go to main service and a high school. Now, I wish that I personally could say that I lived out Romans 12 in a better way, and I'm sure that as you look at it today, you're going to see ways that you need to live out this passage, that if you're a Christian, the concern that Paul has is also God's concern, that is how you live with other believers matters, and that's what you're going to see in this text today. So I'm going to read through this passage, and I want you to to read it carefully, look on, if you don't have your Bible with you, look on with the person next to you, and as we just go through it, just, just see, man, what are some ways, or maybe I could just pick one verse that I need to apply from this text. As this text has to do not so much with just you and God individually, but you and all these people sitting next to you. How should you relate to those people? So let's read it together. Romans chapter 12, I'll read verses 3 to 21. It reads, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, 
but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute, persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to eat. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is God's very word. Let's pray before we consider it together. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you are a God of love and a God of grace. A God who is far kinder to us than we are to each other. Lord, this passage is so countercultural, perhaps the most countercultural passage in the book of Romans. This is so different from the way we live. Each of us has a bent towards self, uh, a bent towards a me first attitude. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be real Christians, that you would help high school students and even us as staff get over pettiness, cliques, and ultimately, Lord, the narcissism that keeps us from looking at anyone besides ourself. Help us to live this passage as an act of worship unto you. Guide my thoughts this morning that we might better know how to honor you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I have a three-point outline this morning, although I just want to say we're not getting to point three. So I'm going to give you two points. If you're one of those point takers, you could just jot these down now. They're not going to be on the screen yet. It's going to be a while before we get to point one. Point one, today we're going to talk about how we serve together. And point two is going to be how we love each other. Point one, how we serve together. Point two, how we love each other. You could jot those down. We're not going to get to those for a little bit. But I want to let you know if you're one of those like frantically waiting for points I'm helping you out now. 
But I want to stop and stew on this for a little bit because before we before we dive into this text, we need to think about why these verses, these verses about loving one another and preferring one another and honoring one another, why they are here. And I understand why they're here in the Bible because God you know, wanted them to be there. Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, wrote them there. But why are they at this point? Why do they follow 12, 1 and 2? And why do they come before chapter 13, et cetera? Like, why are these verses here in the Bible? So let's, let's think about where we're at in, in the context of Romans, right? Romans 1 through 11 is all about the grace of God. In fact, look at chapter, or sorry, look at verse 1 of chapter 12. Verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. That, that phrase there, mercies of God, is chapters 1 through 11. God's mercy to save sinners from sin, to free sinners from enslavement to sin, to bring sinners from being enemies to being children of God. That's Romans 1 through 11. In one sentence, it's the mercies of God. And then Paul says, in light of the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So we talked about last week. Last week we said that worship is not just something we do three songs before the sermon and one song after. Worship's our whole life presented to God. It's the only way we worship him rightly. It's, it's not just Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. My whole life belongs to you, Lord. Everything I do is for you. And we need to worship him, according to verse 2, by the renewal of our mind. It's our changing needs to think. Our mind is set on sin, typically. We need our mind set on the spirit. So that's, that's where we're at. I need to worship God with my whole self, beginning with right thinking. That leads into right action. And so we need to then think like, okay, I worship God with my whole life. What's the first application of how we would do that? And I, and I think we would typically land on something radical. If I worship God with my life, that means all my money is for him and every possession I acquire or release is filtered through the idea that my life belongs to God or my relationships are for God. Maybe I'm just super evangelistic because I'm worshiping God with everything. Or maybe I'm really radical with, with sin. And so sexual sin, I'm putting to death because life is about worshiping God. And what's interesting is where Paul starts, he says, you want to know if you worship God, let's first start with how you treat each other. Let's start with how you live. Let's get out of the individualistic Instagram post-selfies age. And let's say, do you want to worship God? You worship God by how you treat other people who claim to belong to God. That's where he begins. And so this morning, I want to see that we show love for God and how we love others. We worship God and how we treat other believers. How you love other Christians. Let me just be more frank. How you love other Christians in this room how you love other Christians in your Bible study, how you love other Christians in your small group or in your family, all of that is a reflection of how you worship or don't worship God. It matters to God how you treat others, which is why this passage is so weighty. We can, we can make the mistake of thinking it's just kind of flowery, like, oh yeah, we should love everyone. No, it begin, worshiping God begins with how you treat other people. And so if you want to live a, be a living sacrifice, you want to give the utmost for the Lord, it begins by loving, loving other Christians. Now let's, let's think about that. Why? Why is that where it would start? It has everything to do with the nature of who God is. 
I'm going to have a handful of cross-references for you. I'm going to only make you turn to a couple of them. The rest I'll put on screen. If you have your Bible, you can turn to John chapter 1. We're going to leave Romans for a little bit so the, you don't have to save a finger in there. Unless you want to, you have better endurance than I do. I'll come back to it later. But go to John chapter 1. That's where we'll begin. And, and, and we need to think about, uh, first, one of the most popular verses. I'll have it on the screen for you. It's, it's 1 John 4. Verses 8 and verses 16. We should have those up here. Do I have that up there? Yeah, 1 John 4. So here's what it says, 1 John 4, 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And again, 1 John 4, 16. So we have come to know and to believe that God, the love that God has for us, God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God. God is love. What does that mean? We have to move away a little bit from the, uh, the sappy love songs of today, that love is this like deep emotion, and you know, if, I, if, if love isn't reciprocated, I'll, I'll write an angry album about, about driver's license or something like that, and, and everyone will love me even though it's a shallow love. But anyway, we think about love as this just, just affection, deep emotion, but what you also find in the Bible is that love is... In fact, what you always find in the Bible is love is active. John 15, 13, Jesus says this. Do I have that? I'm gonna need, I'm gonna, you guys are going to be quick. I'm going to be flying on the screen today. John 15, 13. Come on, Vamanos, everybody, let's go. Here we go, there we go. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So love is active. Love does what's best for someone else, sacrificially giving for the benefit of others. There's an others-orientedness to love. Now let's think about this. It doesn't just say in 1 John 4 that God loves. It says that God is love, meaning it's, it's core to who he is. It's part of his essence. Um, it, it's what he always does. It's not just that he loves occasionally. God never ceases to love. He's always loving. He's always pouring out, directing affection towards uh, others. And so now if you're working through that in your mind, we have to ask, well, if that is something God always does and the world has not always been around, then how is God always loved? The answer is the Christian doctrine of the Trinity. That God has existed as a being that loves forever, as there has been eternal love between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. You could just jot these verses down. I'm going to give you some cross-references, but the first one you should look at in your notes, for, or in your Bible, First John, or sorry, John chapter 1. John 1, 1 and 2 says, In the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And we all know, help me now, that word is referring to Christ. Jesus. You see, that was the Sunday school answer. You all should have just said it. it belong, it's, it's Jesus. Jesus has eternally been with God the Father. There's never been a moment, eternity best, they did not exist together. Look uh, down at verse... Let's see, verse, I'll look at it later. Uh, turn, if you would, to John 17. John chapter 17, let's jump ahead. And we read about Jesus discussing the love that's existed from eternity past between the Father 
and the Son. The relationship. John chapter 17, verse 5. says, And now, Father, this is Jesus praying, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. So you go back in eternity past, and there is relationship. Because our God is not a solitary being. He exists as three persons who are one and one God who is three. And there is relationship between the Father and the Son. In fact, this relationship is deeply affectionate. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So when it says God is love, this is going to matter because it's telling us to love. When God is love, it means he never ceases to pour out affection upon another. It's who he is. And from eternity past, there has been love from the Father towards the Son by the Spirit. Uh, This is a God who did not need us. He was not lonely, so that's why he created everything. Totally self-satisfied in the triune love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How deep was this affection? Well, let's take a look. John chapter 1, verse 18 on the screen. John 1, 18. No one has ever seen God, but Jesus, the only God, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. You know that phrase, at the Father's side, is it's, it's actually in the Greek, it's who's in the bosom of the Father. It's not a word we usually use, it's a strange word. But that word there is also used in the, gospel, uh, in the Gospels where it talks about the disciple John resting on the, the bosom of Christ. They're reclining at the table and he's leaning up against Jesus. This nearness between the disciple John and Jesus Christ. Well, that nearness is a picture of the nearness that exists between the Father and the Son. There's a closeness there. Not just unity in a spiritual sense, but there's actually love that exists between them. And we see this expressed from the Father in the life of Jesus. So Isaiah 42.1. Isaiah 42.1 in the Old Testament, said the, uh, God is talking, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. Or New Testament, Mark chapter 1, verse 11, at the baptism of Jesus, a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. There is this love that has existed forever. Relationship that has existed forever. Relationships were not a new thing that were invented in Eden. They have existed from eternity past. Now here's what salvation does. Salvation draws us into that relationship. See, what God has done for sinners like you and me is sent Jesus to pay for our sin. We deserve no relationship with God. We deserve only wrath from God. And yet Christ came, lived a perfect life to the delight of the Father, died as a sacrifice to the delight of the Father so that our sins could be paid for. Now, here's the question. When you offend a friend of yours and your friends, they're not talking to you, you've said something bad to them, um, they've been cold towards you, and you want forgiveness, what you want is not just for them to say, I forgive you. You want relationship restored. You want forgiveness to get something out of the way so that you can be near to them again. 
Well, that's what salvation is. Salvation is about getting our sin out of the way so that we can actually draw near to God. How near? This near, John 1 verse 12. John 1 verse 12. But to all who did receive Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You get to be referred to as God's child. You approach the God who made everything, okay? The God who who created this universe, who spoke it into existence, you get to draw near to him. If you're newer this morning, this is the offer. This is what we talk about. This is not about us being good people so we can earn our way to God. This is about a holy God who we deserve nothing from sending his son to die so that we could call him our father, our father who loves us. Go to Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight. See, we're getting back to Romans now. Romans chapter eight. I would tell you that God, Romans five says that God shows his love and that while we were enemies, Christ died for us. That's the kind of love he has for us. Romans chapter eight, verse 14 says, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Do you realize that if you're a Christian, God is not just your father positionally. It's not just about rank. I'm sure in your house, it's not just about rank. That's dad, those are kids. But, but he's your father dispositionally. That means his attitude towards you is fatherly. So this love relationship that's existed in eternity past, you get brought into. You are loved because you've trusted in the son. John 17, you are loved with the same affection that the father has for the son. That's love. That's the context of where we're at. Now let's think about this. You're like, Josh, why did we begin this detour? Let's go back to Romans 12 if you're not there. You're going, I thought we were in Romans 12 today. We seem like we're in John Why? Because it makes sense that if God has eternally existed in love and if God saves us to bring us into relationship with himself, that right worship of that God would involve loving one another. Do you understand that? That if we were to love God rightly and understand if he is love and we see this love that he's now shown to us, it would be very strange if we then did not love and claimed to know him. So Romans 12 is not just a pie in the sky. That's for the goody two-shoe Christians that don't see all the real stuff like I do. Romans 12 is about real Christianity. Okay, it's about really saying, I know God. John 13, 30, let me give you two verses. If you've, if you've kind of been fumbling with us, follow these. John 13, 35 says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. You ready? This is how you know you're a disciple of Jesus. You love one another. Okay, that doesn't sound like extra credit Christianity. I'll do the assignment if I want to. That's fundamental to what it means to follow Jesus. You love others that follow Jesus. Or 1 John 4, 8. 1 John 4, 8. Again, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. I mean, think about it, right? Don't, aren't you affected by people you know? I mean, some of you are not sports fans, or at least you used to not be. And then your friend was a sports fan, and because of your relationship with them, it's rubbed off a little on you. Or maybe you weren't a country music person. Your IQ used to be much higher. 
And then you've had friends that you grew closer with that liked country music. And you went, you know what? All these songs sound the same, but I sure do love them all, you know, or something like that, right? It'd be weird to say I'm in relationship with somebody, but the things that they like don't affect me. Well, God is a God who loves unconditionally. And so it'd be really weird to say, I know that God intimately. I just don't do anything that he does. Do you see that, student? So this is not just coming out of left field. This is not Paul wanting to come in with a, you know, let me give you a softball. This will be really easy. And then we'll get to the harder stuff. No, he's coming in right off the bat. This is fundamental to what it means to be a Christian. And so this morning, you need to think about, you need to think about as I've been thinking about, what does my worship of God look like with other Christians? Look, it's really easy to worship God as a living sacrifice in private devotionals, in private prayer time, but how do I do with other sinners, right? Christian community is about sinners coming together. So how do we love one another as a reflection of the way God loves us? How do we interact with each other? It's what, it, it's what we need to think about if we're thinking about really worshiping God with our life. Our faith is demonstrated in how we treat each other. See, let me be more specific. How you talk to your siblings matters for eternity. It is not a, it is not a small deal that there are people in this room that look for people so they could sit on the opposite side of the room as them. That is not a small thing, according to Paul. And so we need to think about this passage. And now let's actually get into Romans 12. I'm going to give us an overview today. There's so much here. And I would just encourage you to think about this passage this week. Look at it. Read it again. Talk about it with one another. But let's look at two things. What is what does it mean to be a living sacrifice? Well, it's going to affect how we serve together. It's going to affect how we serve together. Let's dive into Paul's words. Verse 3 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. That's a, uh, that's a weighty sentence right there. He's contrasting not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Not to have a too high of a view, not to have rose-colored glasses when it comes to us, but he's going to contrast it with something. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So he wants us to think clearly he wants us to think in light of the faith that I have that God has given me, right? We, we know that we as believers did not come up with faith on our own. It's, it's God who's given us faith. We were dead in our sin. But what specific way does he want us to think about faith? Well, he's going to say, I'm going to give you the spoiler alert and then we'll dive in. He's going to talk about your service. Let's first talk about your service. And he begins with an illustration, he says, for as in one body, we have many members and the members do not have all the same function. What's he talking about there? He's talking about the different parts of the body. The word members there just has to do with, you know, appendages, body parts. You know, your body has many members. Your body has hands and fingers and knees and chins and toes and, you know, necks, etc. The body is not just one big hand. 
It is not just one big eye or one big pinky toe or anything like that. It's your body functions because there's a lot of different parts to your body. And he says that everybody, there we go, verse 5, so we, we being the family of God, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So Paul is saying, so we, though we are many different types of members, we are not all the same. We are connected, and therefore we ought to serve in the way that we would serve. You know, it would be strange if you went to a restaurant, let's say if you went to a a Chick-fil-A, not today, um, you can't go today, but if you went to Chick-fil-A tomorrow and every employee there only worked the drive-thru, you know, maybe the drive-thru would be faster, although, I mean, Chick-fil-A's drive-thru is amazing. I mean, they could serve 500,000 people by the time I finish this sermon, something like that. They're just always gunning the people through, right? But if everyone worked drive-thru, no one would cook, and no one would bag, and no one would hand you the stuff and say, my pleasure, or anything like that. It's, if everyone did the same thing, nothing would get done. Now, imagine a sports team where everyone was a coach. Now, some of you have been on a basketball team where everyone thought they were a coach, but that's another story. But if everyone was the coach drawing up plays and nobody actually played the game, then the team would not do well. What Paul is saying is we as a church family, we as believers, and more specifically who meet in a local area, we are not all the same. Some of us are more talented at speaking Some of us are terrified at speaking. Some of us are are really smart and know how to work with our hands. Some of us had a hard time drawing our Mother's Day cards, right? And what Paul is saying is that's a good thing because the body would be really strange if it was just eyes or if it was just toes or it was just one giant mouth with a whole bunch of teeth, right? That would be an odd thing. What you need for the body to function is differences, Differences that coexist for the glory of Christ. Take your Bible. Let, let's go to 1 Peter real quick because we're, we're thinking about, this is a passage about spiritual gifts. We're different. Verse six talks about having gifts that are given to us. So let's go back to, let's go to 1 Peter because we want to understand this. 1 Peter gives us an understanding about spiritual gifts. In fact, if I'm trying to give somebody, somebody says, what are spiritual gifts? You know, instead of saying what they all are, First Peter's my favorite passage to go to to give a quick explanation. First Peter 4, 10 and 11. First Peter 4, 10 and 11. It says, as each, that's every Christian, has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So we use our giftedness, our skills, our talents as believers to serve one another, each differently as a picture of God's varied grace, Here's how he breaks it down. Whoever speaks as one who speaks by the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. I love that because instead of this exhaustive list, Peter just gives you two kinds of gifts. Speaking gifts, serving gifts. Those who are going to talk and minister, those who are going to work and minister. Here's the end result of spiritual gifts. Here's what they're for. You ready? The end of verse 11. In order that in everything... God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong dominion 
or sorry, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Here's the purpose of spiritual gifts, right? We, we serve, we try to do all we can, not so that people would say, wow, Grace Community Church, what an amazing church. Or even, man, 180, what a great, or man, that Bible study, that Bible study is really awesome. Oh no, 1 Peter 4 says, we serve so that outsiders would say, and that God is incredible. Because look at those people love each other and serve one another and are devoted to one another. So now we go back to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, that was my last cross-reference. We'll, we'll camp there the rest of the day. We're in Romans chapter 12, and verse six says, we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. So first of all, these are gifts. They're not things that exist because you're smart. Uh, they're not things that uh, you naturally can boast in. They're gifts that were given to us as a manifestation of God's grace. Student, if you are a Christian, which I know many of you claim to be, and I, I believe many of you are, if you're a Christian, God has gifted you. He's designed you. He's built you in such a way that you would work hard for his glory, not just you individually, but that we corporately in the way we meet together would glorify God. Ephesians 2.10 says that you were created for good works. You guys have been reading Titus, right? Titus, you were saved, what? So that you would do good works. That's what we've been studying in our Bible studies on Wednesday nights. And so Paul here dives into this and he says, we are all, as we meet together, we're not to think of more highly than ourselves, not to think that any service is below us, but we serve together. How do we serve? Well, he gives this list, and I'll read these off to you. They're not exhaustive. We know that because 1 Corinthians 12, there's another list with some, some different things in there. But he says, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, we would see that as prophecy, as in speaking the word of God. We no longer think that gift is around today. But you understand how that would have benefited the church to speak the word of God when not everybody had a copy of God's word. If service... That's those doing a administrative task. This is set up, tear down. This is laborious work. Then the, you do it in serving. The one who teaches in their teaching. The one who exhorts, that's encouragement. That's pulling people along. Do it in exhortation. The one who contributes, who gives in generosity. The one who leads with zeal, with confidence. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness and gladness in their heart. Here's what Paul is telling you to do. He's telling you to serve and he's telling you to do it with all your might. Don't be hesitant, but if you're, gonna, if you're gifted in these ways, then serve in those ways. Worship God by working together to build up the body and reach the lost. That's what we do. We serve one another by helping each other love Jesus more, reach people that don't know Jesus, all to the glory of God through Jesus Christ. That's what Paul wants you to do, Christian. And he says that not one of these is more important than the other. So just because somebody is talented at speaking doesn't make them more important than the person who's really smart at figuring out how do we fit as many chairs in this room as possible. The person who sings on the microphone is not more important than the one who makes sure that the microphone works so that we can all hear them. The guy preaching the sermon is not more important than the guy who's running the slides so you help understand the mess of a sermon that I have up here. You understand that? Like that's the, the point is every single part 
is necessary. Every single one is needed. In fact, 1 Corinthians 12, Paul gives the funny illustration that says, imagine the hand saying to the foot, I don't need you. Like, that's crazy. And it'd be weird if your hand was talking. But, but the point is we all need each other. Not one is more important. If we're gonna glorify God together, if we're gonna live together as living sacrifices, again, to help one another love Jesus and to reach the lost, then every gift is needed. I mean, just imagine, look with me, imagine what this church would look like in verse, starting in verse six. So you have somebody prophesying that's speaking the word so people know it. Uh, you, you have one serving, ready to help out with any task, table task, food task, anything. You have one teaching that's instructing the word, exhorting, look, I know the word, I'm gonna help you keep living it. Come on, let's keep doing this together. You have one contributing to the poor. Hey, you know what? We got poor people who have physical needs. Let's help take care of those so we can focus on their spiritual needs. You have people who lead, who know the right thing to do. And you have those who do act of mercy with cheerfulness. Let me help out those who can't help themselves gladly. What an amazing community that would be. How different that is from the world which says, I look out for number one. How different would your Bible study be uh, from your public school if your unsafe friend showed up and saw this kind of attitude being lived out? Do you see how that would honor Christ? Not so much bring glory to us, but bring glory to Christ. Student, you can serve. You should serve. You should find ways to teach you should find ways to encourage. Some of you give. Some of you lead. It's not hard to lead. It's, I know the right thing to do, so I'm going to be the one that does it. Some of you are going, how do I find my, my giftedness? That's a question I get asked by high school students. How do I know how I'm gifted? Well, I don't think this is a command to only like serve in the way you're gifted. So someone goes like, hey, can you help set up chairs? You're like, oh, I do not have the chair setting up gift, sorry. Like that's, that's not what this is saying. Uh, you're, you're not above anything. Uh, but the way you find your giftedness is, one of them is just if there's a need, meet it. You're eager to serve. We've read that in Titus, right? You're zealous for good deeds. Uh, but another way is just by serving. And over time, you start finding out like, man, I really enjoy these things. Uh, the Lord keeps blessing this. Other thing is, man, I'm just supernaturally gifted in these areas and, uh, and the Lord's using it for his glory, that must be where I'm at right now. Student, we have the mindset that we want to use whatever resources and skills we have available for the work of the kingdom. We want to serve others. I am so thankful for countless examples I know of people who are, use their skills for the sake of God's work. And so I, I, I'll point out a couple of examples. Thinking of our staff, I think Abby Laguna, who's sitting somewhere over here, learned computer programming of some sort at TMU so she could help run the website. You know that website that you go on to sign up for stuff? Abby does that. She makes that happen every single week, which is awesome. Uh, I think about Carrie, who's somewhere in here, who's good at teaching, working as a teacher, and saying, like, how could I do more school so I could learn about teaching the Bible to people? That's awesome. You're just using the skills you already have. Nate Bonzel, who's not here today, so I can embarrass him, uh, his, his dad's a worship pastor. He knows how to do it. His day-to-day -day job isn't in that. But every week, Nate texts me about Wednesday, Thursday, and says, what are you preaching on on Sunday so we can orient the songs towards the sermon, so we could sing the truths that we're le learning about? These are people who are just serving with the time they have available and the talents that God has given them. My, uh, my church that I grew up at has found a way to meet at a public school for two years 
all during COVID when schools don't let churches use it, but because my father-in-law is a teacher at that school and he's willing to get there at 5.30 and leave at 2, even when people don't always show up when they say to help, he's basically kept that church meeting for the past two years during COVID. Why? Because he wants to serve. I, I got a really cool letter uh, this week. Oh no, I don't have it. I left it in, I left it in my notes. Uh, Katie used to have a small group, uh, a girl in her small group named Michaela, uh, who was about 20 years old and was doing college and said, man, there are over 2,000 people groups in the world that don't have a Bible in their language. What can I do to help with that? And she didn't move to the jungle right away. She didn't do anything glamorous right away. Right away. She went to Canada and then to Texas for school for a few years. And this summer, she's going to Papua New Guinea to learn the language of the people so that she could put a Bible in their language. These are not extraordinary things that people are doing. They're doing very normal things with extraordinary faithfulness to the Lord. Student, it's what you could do as well. It's you having the mindset on Wednesdays and Sundays saying, what can I do to help people love Jesus more or help reach the lost. Some of you are very socially apt. You know how people work. It's easy for you to draw a crowd. Don't use that for yourself. Get your unsaved friends to Bible study. Get them on Sundays. Get the gospel to them. Some of you are very good communicators. You're not too young. You know how to explain how to get saved. Use that. Some of you are social media experts. I am not good at social media. I take bad pictures, I overthink everything, is this for my glory or not, I delete it, whatever. But some of you are really good at it, and so help us. We don't have a great, we, we use our social media sparingly because me, Caden, and Ben are not the most artistic types. And so like, if you've got skills in areas, use them for God's glory. If you're like, yeah, but I'm still not sure how I'm serving, let me just give you one basic thing. If you're like, how do I serve? Here's the biggest thing that this group needs. You ready? Your holiness. Your holiness. You cannot serve uh, well unless you're living well for Christ. The eighth graders are coming Wednesday, whether you like it or not. And some of you are going like, you know what? It is time for me to be a leader. Do you know what they need? They need to see what it's like for a sophomore and a junior or a senior to live for Christ. They have plenty examples of lukewarm Christians. Plenty of examples of Sunday morning, Wednesday night, lip service Christians. They need to see what does it actually mean to be radically committed to Christ. That's what they need. And that's how you can serve them well on Wednesday. Say, I'm not going to play the game because I'm not going to teach them how to be half-hearted Christians because then they'll teach others how to be half-hearted. That is the best way to serve those people. Friends, your Wednesdays, Sundays, your schedule is not for you. Use it for Christ and for the sake of serving others. That's number one test. How do I worship the Lord? I worship the Lord in the way we serve together. There's way more applications of that. You could talk to your Bible study shepherd if you're trying to figure out how your group could help uh, use your help in applying that. Let's look at one other thing, and we might look at it more next week. Let's look at number two, how we love each other. How we love each other. I would say that both of these are dependent on our view of ourselves. I'm just going to read verses 9 through about 15. And as we go through, I just want you to think about how can I apply these to my own life? Pick one. Maybe pick one verse that you're going to talk to your friend or your small group leader about after and say, help me apply this verse or pray for me that I apply this verse. Hold me accountable. Now, now before we look at verses 9 through 14, I just want to give you one caveat, one quick caveat, okay? You will totally ruin this passage 
if this passage is about, this is how these people should be treating me. Do you understand that? There are so many people that go, how are things going? Like, oh yeah, it's always about no one's really loving me. and No one's really caring for me. If your view of verses 9 through 14 is first and foremost, yeah, that's how these people should be treating me, you're missing the point. We don't deserve to be loved like this. We love like this because we have been loved like this by Christ. Is that cool? Does that make sense with everyone? So let's look, verses 9, it says, let love be genuine. Okay, so Paul here is going to say, let's, let's have genuine love. Not just lip service like, oh, we love each other. Or not like, you know, uh, Clint, who's in your science class. Oh, Clint, the funny guy in science class. I love that guy, right? It's not that kind of love. It's what does genuine, non-hypocritical love look like? What does it look like? Well, it looks like we're starting with abhorring what is evil and hold fast to what is good. So do you want to know if you love your Christian friends? Do you love your Christian friends? Is when you're together, do you guys cling? That word there for hold fast is cling to what is good. And do you, do you despise what is evil? In your group, is there, a, is there actually a love for holiness? Or in your group, is holiness mocked? I, I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm too much of a dummy, but I, I do know from my own experience, for some reason, jokes that would offend me or topics that would make me feel uncomfortable with unbelievers, sometimes don't we find that we tolerate them a little more with believers, right? Aren't, aren't we, if we're to unsa- our, our radar is our, our up when we're with unsaved people, and so we know like, oh, we shouldn't talk like that. But when we're with saved people and someone cracks a joke or someone's talking about something we shouldn't discuss, don't we end up a little more comfortable? Friends, that's not loving well. That's not loving without hypocrisy. We're clinging to what is good. You should be holier with your Christian friends than with your non-Christians, or then you'd be without them. And if not, are you, are you living with them rightly? Are you loving them rightly? Are you being selfish? What does it say next? It says, love one another with brotherly affection. I care for them. What happens in their life matters to me. I have a deep concern for them. In fact, I have such a deep concern with them. Verse 15, I rejoice with those who rejoice and I weep with those who weep. And so I care so much for my Christian brothers and sisters in Christ that when they have a good day, even if I didn't get accepted into the college they got accepted to, I can rejoice with them because I'm happy for them. Because they're like a sister, they're like a brother to me. And when I have a great day and things are off with them, I feel for them. That's what it means. You're so connected to people. You are actually happy when they're happy and you hurt when they hurt because you care for them personally. And I don't mean in this weird sort of like, they're going through a sad thing, so you know I'm really sad and I want to tell everyone how I'm sad for them. There's a selfish way to weep with those who weep. I mean, you care for them, not yourself, and you so therefore you rejoice and you weep with them. It says, take a look again at verse 10. It says, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another for in showing honor. Honor was a big thing in the Roman Empire. It has a different name, but I think... The way that we're viewed, the way we're valued by people matters to us today as well. Paul says, outdo one another in showing that others are more important than you. If you want to know the easiest way to destroy a group, 
easiest way to destroy a, a, a group of Christians is that you walk in most concerned about you. How can I be with my friends? Uh, how can I get mine? If everything is about you being entertained, you getting to talk to the people you want to talk to, you always steering the conversation to things you want to talk about, well, that's not going to represent Christ at all. Like Any school does that, any workplace. It's not very hard. Our natural flesh wants to do that. But if you want to honor Christ, you show honor to others and you outdo it. You say on Wednesday night, Sunday morning, it is not about me. It is about these other people. And not just, by the way, by the people that I like. It's really easy to like people that we like. I'm popular, and so I hang out with popular people. Or, you know, I don't like popular people, so I, don't, I hang out with other people that don't like popular people. And look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. There's a family I know, many of you would know them at the church. Um, they serve in a lot of ways, they're, they're well-respected, and they serve in special ministries every single week. And I remember talking to the dad one Sunday about that, and he just said, you know, we have tried to teach our kids for the longest time, you are not above anyone. Friends, that needs to be true for us. There is nobody we're above. Uh, it doesn't matter what sort of schooling they come from, doesn't matter how long they've been a Christian, how long they haven't. If we have an attitude that we're better than, we will fail to live as living sacrifices. We do not, uh, we do not see ourselves more highly than we ought. Let me wrap up and we'll be done. What else should this group look like? This would be a good question. Just You can chew on this later. Does my group, verse 12, rejoice in hope? Are we patient in tribulation? Are we constant in prayer? Verse 11, are we slothful in zeal? Are we just lounging around Wednesday nights while, while the, the girls around us stack chairs? That was a pointed application. Or are we fervent in spirit, ready to serve the Lord? Do we think about the needs of others and seek to show them care? That is how we live as living sacrifices in the way that we serve others. And the biggest way, to, there's two ways I could think of to undo it. One is that you think you're better than, you view yourself more highly than you ought, or you have the expectation that, why would I love like that? I deserved to be loved like that. Friends, remember, remember the gospel. Jesus did not come to serve people who were worthy. He, he did not come to serve only the most important people that would benefit him. But Mark chapter 1 tells us that he goes to a leper, an outsider who could do nothing for him, and he heals him. And while he's interacting in Mark chapter 5 with an important Roman uh, official, a woman, an outcast who's been bleeding for 11 years, touches his robe, and he personally talks with her. Not just that he would heal her, but he'd let her know she's been healed. And over and over again, he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. And he, he dines with sinners and tax collectors. And he saved us. That's what Christ did. He served us who couldn't benefit him in return, who didn't add anything to his existence. But he served us that we might be saved and to be with him. If we've experienced that love of Christ... 
then that's the kind of love that we must have for one another. If we know the love of God, then we will worship God rightly by living as those who display his love to other people. Let's pray that we do that, okay? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us when we deserve nothing. God, you did not need us and your son came down to die for our sins so we might be with you. God, we didn't add anything. We don't, you don't benefit from us. You're not a more complete person because of your relationship with us. And yet, God, you've served us and you continue to serve us by showing us grace we don't deserve. Even the grace of not loving others the way you've loved us. Lord, help us to have a mindset that our lives don't exist for us, but for you. That our talents, our skills are meant to be to serve you with others that you've saved. Lord, help us to love others here. God, I pray that if we are in here and we're not loving others in this way, that you would not let us just go to our Mother's Day celebrations at ease, but we would really wrestle with our profession in the midst of lovelessness. Help us to love the way you've loved us. Thank you for your grace. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.